more than just a thought process. The scriptures also mention in that connection the preparation for that sinful act. We can read in Joshua 7 about the sin of Achan. And Achan took the spoil of the enemies, even the Lord, even though the Lord God strictly forbade it. He confessed that he coveted those goods. And when you look at what his coveting consisted of, then you will note that more than desire played a role. He cunningly planned his criminal activity. He did not just desire it, but he looked for the opportunity to take the spoil without being discovered. He was very cunning and very clever in the way that he carried out his plan. And then he took it. But that wasn't the end of it. He also took pains to hide his crime. He solicited his family as accomplices to hide the loot in his den. And so the Lord, once his crime was discovered, ordered that his whole family be stoned. That all his property be destroyed. Same thing we see in Micah. In chapter 2, verse 2, he speaks about the greed in Israel. And Micah says, they cover fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. And you see, and so you see in this commandment that although the desire for the forbidden thing is the primary focus of this commandment, the Lord does not want us to forget that the unlawful act is never far behind. You desire, and then you want to, at one point, put that desire into effect. Isn't that the way it is with all of us? When we set our hearts on certain things, we make plans in order to realize our goal. If, for example, it is your desire to acquire as much material wealth in this life as you can, then you will also plan your life along those lines. And then you will hone your skills to that end already in your youth. But then we learn early on to get what we want, no matter what obstacles are in the way. We live in a world full of greed. A man sets his heart on earthly wealth and pleasures, dreams about earthly possessions, we see that in this society from the many lotteries to the gambling casinos. We see them all over Edmonton. Edmonton has one of the largest concentration of casinos anywhere in North America. People gamble as if there is no tomorrow. They dream their dreams. If only I win the big one, then I'll be set for life. What empty pursuits and how disappointed they often become. In the end, they lose their money and their self-respect. Recently, I read of a woman in Hamilton, Ontario, who had won $10 million jackpot 10 years earlier. Now, all her money is gone. She had thrown it all away in all kinds of frivolous things, and the money meant nothing to her. much left 
She's much less happy than she was before she won the lottery. The opposite of desire is discontentment. To be content means to be at rest, to be at rest with yourself. It means to be able to reflect on what you have and to be satisfied with it. Not always to look at what somebody else has. Not always looking for more and more. God wants you to be content. And he gives you many things to be content with. To be content means to be able to reflect on the things that God has given you. And such contentment gives true peace of mind. It isn't restless but it is peaceful. And you know where you will find true contentment, won't you? You will find it in the Word God and in His laws. If you live in obedience to God's laws, then you can also rest assured that He will provide you with everything necessary for body and soul. Already when you are young, you have to realize that. That your contentment is not going to be found in what you acquire here on earth. You find it only in the Lord. And you wait for the Lord to fulfill your desires. So you keep God's laws. A boy and a girl wait for marriage. They wait for a partner who also loves the Lord. And they also wait to be, they also wait before they are married, or they also wait in their relationship not to express their sexual intimacy until they are married. They wait. And we wait for the Lord to grant us material things. We do not unlawfully grab these things for ourselves. Waiting for the Lord to fulfill desires means to do all things in accordance with God's law. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not commit adultery. When you do not wait for the Lord, then you greatly complicate your life. When you keep God's commandments, then you no longer have the rebellious nature of a dissatisfied child who always longs for more and asks for more. We see so many examples in the scriptures of those who do not wait for the Lord to satisfy them. How they are driven to inner turmoil and sometimes to death after their lust is served with sin. So it was with David, for example. David lusted after Bathsheba. He craved, he desired her. But he did not just leave it at that. No, his lust, his desire gave birth to further sin. He committed adultery. And then had a husband, Uriah, killed. James says in chapter 1, verse 15, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, birth to death. We also see a good demonstration of the sin against the tenth commandment in the story of Abraham and Abimelech. King Abimelech of Gerar took 
position of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Subsequently, he receives a dream from the Lord, wherein the Lord threatens him with death if he quits and renounces his wife. But Abimelech defends himself by saying that Abraham had told him that she was his sister. And furthermore, he says that he is not to be held responsible for any misdeeds, for he had not even touched her. That he was indeed misled by Abraham and that he had not touched her. But this came about only because the Lord had kept him from that final sinful act. And so Abimelech indeed had not yet committed adultery, but he did have the wrong desire for her. He had already made plans in his heart to commit adultery with her. And although Abimelech had not actually come to the act of adultery, he had adultery in mind when he took her. That alone rendered him guilty before God. We come to the second point. When the scriptures speak of coveting or finding pleasure in, it does not only do so in a negative fashion, but also in a positive one. Not all coveting is condemned by the Lord. He who hungers may desire to eat, and he who is sick may desire to get better. That's the way it was in paradise, although Genesis 2 is spoken of the trees which the Lord planted, and that those trees are pleasing to the eye. Pleasing to the eye means desirable. It is the same word which is used for coveting. It is something which man can desire. But on the other hand, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is forbidden to Adam and Eve, for it became sinful when desired to make them wise. Why was that sinful? Because in such a desire, they would seek themselves rather than the Lord. The Lord wants us to desire only those things which he has given to us to desire. For only then do we seek the Lord. In everything we do, we must seek the Lord. If it is food we desire, then we do so only because we acknowledge that the Lord has provided it for us. The fulfillment of the law is to love God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Any desire that is not born out of our desire to honor and glorify him is sin. And he shows us by example what the right desire is about. You know how he does that? He does that by showing that in the way that he desires you and me. And indeed, his desire is for us. He desires to dwell in our hearts. He desires to be near us. Listen to what we read in Psalm 68, verse 16. Listen to the RSV and ESV and other translations have it. God desires to come to Zion for his abode. He desired Mount Zion for his abode. What does that mean? Well, that means that he not only desired it, that means that he also made it happen. For he indeed made Zion his dwelling place. What God desires, he will have. What he desires, he will also 
Lord God called them faithful servants in spite of their sins. And so David could also openly proclaim to the Lord, as he does in Psalm 26, verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And as he also does in Psalm 18, verse 23, I've been blameless before him, and I have kept myself from sin. And so Paul could also cry out, as he does in Romans 7, verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. And therefore we too can have that same certainty as David saying, O Lord, we are blameless before you. We have kept ourselves from sin. You know how we can say those things, brothers and sisters? Not because we have reached perfection in this life and have obtained blamelessness on our own. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because we desire Him. It is only in the Lord that we can keep the command of the covenant. He fulfilled the covenant obligations for us through His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we also see the promise of the covenant. Question and answer 115. Speed states that the ten words of the covenant must be preached so strictly in order to make us aware of our sinful nature so that we may pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to renew us until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. The Lord has made us part of his covenant. He comes to us with his promises, with the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of life through the Holy Spirit and the promise of an entrance into eternal life. And he gives us his greatest treasure, namely his trustworthy and eternal covenant. And the content of that treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ with everything he acquired for us. And now he wants you to go after that treasure. And that treasure is offered to you of God's word both confronts you and comforts you. It comforts us with the fact that we are to seek perfection in this life. This is not a one-time thing, or it confronts us with the fact that we have to seek perfection. And that's not a one-time thing. It is not so that when we are done with the preaching about the ten words of the covenant, that then we can forget about it for another year. No, we have to meditate on and find delight in God's law every day of our lives. For it is in striving to keep the law of God that he keeps us on the straight and narrow path until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. Brothers and sisters, let me put it very strongly. says, with earnest purpose, you have to begin to live, not only according to some, but according to all the commandments of God. That is why it is so ominous when you hear people say things like, well, I know this is wrong, but, and then they 
myself like she used to. Everybody else is doing it. Or, well, I'm tired of hearing so many rules. Or whatever else their excuse may be. I know this is wrong, but... That very statement ought to send chills up and down your spine. That, brothers and sisters, is the language of an unconverted person. The child of God looks into his heart and he says, I know it is wrong, O God, have mercy on me, sinner. Turn me, draw me, change me. He doesn't say, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to go my own way anyway. No, he says, O God, help me. Make me holy. Make me pure. Let me also address the little children in this congregation. So often you hear children, don't you, that you must be good. Mom tells you that you must be good. Daddy tells you that you must be good. And often you try very hard to be good, don't you? you know it, you do something naughty in your heart. You are just like big people. You can never always be good, boys and girls. So what do you do when you are bad? What do you do with your sins? Where do you bring them? When the law says, the law of God says, honor your father you don't obey them right away what then do you do with that sin children of the Lord Jesus says let the little children come to me do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these my brothers children you must bring your sins to the Lord Jesus just like everyone else and say God merciful you're a sinner say your prayers at night think about the sins that you commit tell them to the Lord God and ask for forgiveness and he will forgive you you may have that certainty and we can also delight in God's commandments we can delight in them knowing that ultimately Christ kept the law for us through him alone can you reach the goal of perfection. So we also accomplish this. Whoever wants to reach the goal of perfection must turn to Christ. And he must do so out of a desire for him. He must have a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. For the end of the law is Christ. We know that Christ, and we know Christ only because he wants the law strictly preached. Through the law we know what it is to sin. And through Christ we know about the forgiveness of sin. We can come to him with our imperfections and experience the peace that Christ brings. So we have come to the end of the law. We know how far we fall short of that, what God requires.
by the also driven to prayer. Following these, the Lord willing, the topic of prayer will have our attention. The last question and answer of this Lord's Day marks the transition to this part of the Catechism. And it does so in an appropriate way. The Catechism teaches us to seek our strength in prayer. How do you think the Lord Jesus was able to bear the suffering that he had to undergo? Only because he prayed. Because he prayed. For the grace of the Holy Spirit. For you cannot do that battle on your own. You are in dire need of God's help. Without him you are helpless. Pray, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that you may Give him your whole heart. Only in prayer can you fight this battle of faith. The law must be kept. But the desire must be to do the law of Christ alone. And only then will God fulfill your desires and hear your heart. Psalm 119, 5, 13, and 14. 